Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8. If you're ready, somebody say, yeah. Here we go. It says this. The Lord God planted a garden. Somebody say planted a garden. It's real interesting. There's so much theology in this passage and the whole Bible, and I don't have time to preach it all. But in seven days, he created, and on the eighth day, he planted. It didn't say he created a garden. It says he planted a garden. Look at God using his own process and his own system. It says, God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree. Somebody say every tree. Every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. It looked good and it tastes good. That was a mango tree, by the way. The tree of life was on the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of that garden Eden to water the gardens, and from there it parted, and it became four river heads. The name of the first is Pashan. It is the one which outskirts the land of Havilah, where there is gold. So not only is there this beautiful garden, but there's a river where they discovered gold for the first time. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one who, which goes around the land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekel, also known as the Tigris River. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful for this opportunity to be in your presence. For where your presence is, there's fullness, there's joy, there's peace. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in a way that we never knew possible. And God, we will be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. Y'all, that was a whisper. Stop playing with me. Somebody shout amen. Amen. We are in week four. I feel like brumming. We in week four. Week four of a series called The Lost Kingdom. Somebody say The Lost Kingdom. The entire mindset of the idea behind this series is American Christianity. Now, I know we have thousands of people watching from UK and South Africa and all that other place. It applies to where you are too, but we in America. American Christianity is partially biblical and partially cultural. There's a major part of our faith of what we've accepted as Christianity as Bible. Somebody say amen. Amen. But there's a part of our faith that we've accepted as Bible, but it's not. It's culture. It's Western mindset. It's the way that we do things. And watch this. The way that a certain cultural group does things is not inherently bad. Here's the problem. It can't be held to the same esteem as Scripture. Scripture is what we build our lives on, and it's guaranteed to produce exactly what it says it's going to produce. The Bible says God is not like man. He cannot lie. If he said it, he will do it. Culture is hit or miss. Maybe it works. Maybe it don't. (laughs) Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. And because we don't have a biblical foundation so often, we get the two confused. And here's the danger in this. When people try faith and they don't know they're trying culture, not Bible, 
and it doesn't work, they think God doesn't work. When God never failed you, culture did. God never failed you, religion did. And it's our responsibility to know the word of God and to know that we're building our lives on what God has said he will respond to and not what culture has said is God or how we connect with God or whatever it may be. I've been having fun because we've been going through church history and learning about the first great schism and the second great schism for the first 400 years after Jesus' resurrection into heaven. There was only one church. In 2022, there's over 300,000 denominations. But back in the beginning, there was only one. And then they had a little disagreement. One guy thought that he could speak on behalf of the entire church. And there was a church split. And then another couple hundred years ago. And then there's the major great schism that we know of. And that's when Martin Luther took his 95 theses and nailed them to the wall. And that's what we call the Protestant Reformation. And now Martin Luther, he, he nailed those 95 theses to the wall because as he was looking at the church at the time, him and other reformers, they saw major abuses in the church. He began to see things like monks whipping themselves. And he said, I don't know the whole Bible, but I know that's not God. When he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. I'm pretty sure he meant it is finished. I don't think I find pleasure from God or favor from God by mutilating my body. Somebody say amen. Anybody grew grateful that you didn't grow up in the self-beating era of the church? I'm grateful that I missed that part. He looked at the breweries that were built in the back of the churches. If you missed last Sunday's message, you just missed a whole lot of fun. We have a new phrase here at Union Church, and it is monk juice. If you don't know, (laughs) ask somebody. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with alcohol. There is everything wrong with the abuse of it. And the church, they looked at the abuse and the sale and the funding of renovations and all that through these revelry parties. And Martin Luther said, I don't need to know a lot of Bible to know that that drunken stupor is not of God. But here's the problem with humanity. We have an issue with extremes. If this is wrong and we're like, that's not God. Common sense says, let me go to the word and figure out what is God. But the problem is common sense is messed up with ego. And because we, oh, we look down on people that abuse things in scripture, we don't want anybody to confuse us as being associated with them. So we all the way overcorrect, not because it's Bible, but because I don't want you to think about me what you think about them. There's all of these overcorrections that are cultural are not biblical. The, the, the overcorrection that I want to address today uh, is, is going to rub some of y'all the wrong way, but I don't care because my wife loves me, so it's going to be good. <laughs> and that is our opinion and our view on wealth. Beauty, abundance, pleasure. Do, do, do you know that in this time, it, it was the high renaissance, the, the time of this great schism, that the greatest art, I dare say, to date in history, was commissioned and came out of the church. Things like the Sistine Chapel, 
that took four years for Michelangelo to paint, painstakingly on his back, and millions of people go to see it every single year. Things like the Last Supper or the Mona Lisa, some of the greatest music and greatest art, watch this, was commissioned and came out of the church. Watch this. The church was the birthplace of beauty and art and entertainment and Before there was Hollywood, there was the church. Come on now. Before there was New York City and all the record companies there, there was the orchestras and the music that came out of the house of God. It's not a coincidence that some of the most famous art were depictions of church scenes and biblical stories. Matter of fact, they thought it was disrespectful to God to try to depict human life through art. So in the beginning of the end of the medieval period and the Renaissance period, that's why all the greatest art were Bible stories and Bible figures and all this. Because they said, how dare we even try to reflect what God has placed here in humanity with our paintbrushes and with our sculpture. The church was the birthplace of beauty and art. Here's the problem. We're human. And we just got a way of messing things up. And what started as God's design for pleasure and joy and beauty turned into an outrageous abuse where now wealth became the obsession. Wealth became the goal. Keeping it for me and you not having any of it, it was actually my aspiration. Now, I've saved this message uh, for close to the end because I didn't want to start drama. You're about to see why in a second. But this message is actually what started the great schism. Martin Luther didn't nail that thesis to the wall because monks were beating themselves. He didn't nail it because of the abuse of alcohol or, or the forgetting of the seven areas of influence. Here's why he nailed it to the wall. Because the church was selling forgiveness to build the latest building. It was called indulgences. And what they said, hey, there's not enough money coming in to build the cathedral that we want by the way, the cathedral that they were beating was building with the St. Peter's Basilica, which to date is still the largest square footage in any church on planet Earth. It is at the Vatican. Hundreds of thousands of people visit it over 900 years later. Many people believe it is the most beautiful thing that ever came out of the Renaissance movement. It's where the Sistine Chapel is and a lot of this art that we celebrate. And it was built on heresy. They didn't have enough tithe money to build the building. They didn't have enough generosity to build the building. So you know what they started to do? They started to sell forgiveness. So here were the deal. You can go hang out with the monks this weekend. While out, have yourself a nice little church cella. <laughs> and whatever regrettable decisions you made, just come to church and I'll sell you forgiveness. And for a low, low price of $19.99, <laughs> all your sins can be forgiven. Why is it that Martin Luther is the one that nailed the 95 Thesis to the Wall well? The head priest in Germany at the time, he was in debt to the Vatican. And because he was in debt, he sold, he was the Walmart of forgiveness. He said, we are slashing prices on forgiveness. We, he was abusing these indulgences more than anybody else, and it became to outrage people who knew, I don't know all of God's word, but I know that's not it. Only, because you can only imagine, if you have to buy your forgiveness, who can afford forgiveness? Only those who had. 
Come on now. So then faith became only for the haves, and the have-nots were like, we're sorry. You don't make enough to be noticed by God. Somebody say that's messed up. Now, I ain't preach this to begin with because I'm trying to build a building, so I figured it's really going to mess me up, but that's okay. <laughs> so Martin Luther looked at that, and he said, this is not God. Somebody say Amen. But here comes the overcorrection. It's not that is not God what is. It's that's not God and I don't want to be associated with them. So anybody who desires wealth is evil. Anybody who looks for pleasure out of this earth must not be full in Christ. Anybody who wants more than they need, and anybody who wants to drive a nice car, live in a nice house, wear nice clothes, go on a nice vacation, eat a nice steak, oh, you're carnal. You're earthly. Ugh. As long as I've got King Jesus. Don't need nobody out. No dockers, no sketchers. No. I know that's not God. Materialism, greed, corruption, manipulation, that's not God. And it won't take a genius to figure that out. Y'all, that's not God either. This poverty mindset that has become culture, this demonizing of any type of abundance, any type of wealth, any type of material, any type of vacation, any type of clothes that you wouldn't wear because you don't have the fashion to pull it off, any type. <laughs> Should I keep going? I don't know why you got all that makeup caped up on your face. Why you got to do your hair that way? Why do you got to, why are you so worried about how you look? Here's the only question that matters. What does God say? Not who's abused it or who's overcorrected it. What does God say? Three quick thoughts. The first one is this, write this down. God created more than enough. God created more than enough. I, I, I had a moment with my kids. This was about probably about two years ago. We, we were at the mall. This was before Jade was born. It was me, Zoe, Roman, and Zai. And, and, and Zai loves to shop. I love the shop. I just don't love to shop with kids because you can't. She, however, because she's not as good a parent as me, does not care. <laughs> don't worry. She's preaching next week and she's going to clean all this up. So she's going through, I mean, trying on every outfit, and I got the kids, and the kids are, are losing their mind. I said, you know what? You shop. Take your time. I'll take care. I said, kids, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find a candy store. Y'all remember back in the good old days when they had a candy store in every single mall? And I'm not talking about like some, you know, convenience store where they got packaged candy or no, 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 no. Daddy, what's a candy store? I said, Roman Zoe, about to show you a part of life that she didn't even know existed. Grab them by the hands. We go down to the candy store, and they walk through the door. And as we walk through the door, the, the person who works there hands Zoe and Roman a plastic bag. And they're like, what am I supposed to do with this? I said, boy, fill it up. <laughs> now, Roman's four. He's working on the whole obedience thing. This is the first time that boy told, did exactly what I told him to do. I turned to Zoe to tell her the same, but she was gone already. She's, and it, like I said, a, a real candy store does not have packaged candy. Yeah. A real candy store has bins. Yeah. 
You know them plastic bins? And it has the scoop that is bigger than your bag. It is the land of abundance. So he said, Daddy, Daddy, I want gummy bears. I started laughing. I said, let's go to the gummy bear section. Baby girl, you can't tell me you want gummy bears because they have original. They have Hawaiian. They have peppermint. They have strawberry. They have coconut. And they have surprise flavor. Baby girl, which gummy bears do you want? There's a variety. And they go and they scoop and they're filling it up and they're filling it up. Daddy, 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 can I eat all of this candy? I said, yes. Just don't tell your mother. But here's what the Bible said. The Bible says the best father on earth is evil compared to how good your heavenly father is. If your earthly father knows how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father? Here, 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 here's a thought here. God creates the entire earth. You, you know it. He, he created uh, night and day and heaven and earth and water and sky and earth and, and, and ground and, and, and birds and, and flowers. And he created all this thing. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And he said, everything I created is good. Somebody say, it's good. Hear me. I know I'm a little ignorant. You're going to be all right. If you say something's good, I'm going to test it out, okay? You ever have somebody say, oh, yeah, check out this restaurant. It's good. I'm like, I don't know about all that. Uh, when God says it's good, it means it's perfect. So he created everything, and he said, it is good. Watch this. But it's not good enough for Adam. He made perfection, and perfection wasn't good enough for his creation. So then he took another step, and he planted a garden just for Adam and just for Eve. And and here's the thought that crossed my mind. If all God wanted was to meet our needs, everything he did would have been basic. Make sense? The only two colors that I need to see matter and substance is black and white. All I need is black and white. So why red? Why blue? Yellow? Purple? Orange? Why the variety when the variety is not needed for survival? Come on now. He put trees and plants in the garden for us to eat. If all God cared was for me to eat and not die of starvation, he would have made an apple tree and he would have left me. Why a mango? Why a pear? Why grapes, even though he knew we were going to get drunk? Why cherries? Why? Huh? God had sangria on his mind. He said, we're going to need all this fruit. We're good. Why the variety if meeting our basic needs? Well, they're going to want flowers to look at. Let's make them a flower. So you make a rose. I get it. But why an orchid? Why a sunflower? Why lilies and daisies? Why the variety? Because meeting basic needs was never the goal of a loving father. He said, I want my children to have more than enough to to enjoy the pleasures of life. Why a whole scale and not just one note? Why the variety of culture and skin color and experiences and pleasures and enjoyment? Because God says, I didn't just place you here for my pleasure. I placed you here for your pleasure. 
I'm going to give you mountains to observe and oceans to be amazed by and, and whales and, and all these different, why? Because God desires that we would live in a place where there is more than, more than enough. Pastor, why is there not more than enough? Well, because we messed it up. And as sin entered the world, the punishment for sin entered with it. And that's why I said, Adam, no longer am I going to provide everything for you. But by the sweat of your own brow will you be tormented by labor. And you will now have to provide. Watch this. The Garden of Eden was God's original plan. And from that moment, he has been working to take us back to his original plan, which is abundance. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7, it says this, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Verse 9 says this, A land in which you will eat bread, watch this, without scarcity. This was the biblical foundation for those all-you-can-eat meat places where you kind of, you know, you know where, where you go in and, and it's on like a little red thing. And they say, you ever been one of those places where, where they said, here, this is your key to purpose in life. Anytime you flip it over and the green side is up, meat comes. That's biblical. It came out of Deuteronomy. <laughs> that's not true. He said, I bring you to a place that's without scarcity. Watch this. In which you will lack. Come on, yell back at me, Columbia. In which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. God said, I desire that you be in a place where you have more than enough. Somebody say amen. amen. The problem is sin entered the world and with the sin entered the corruption of man. So now we abuse more than enough and we manipulate for more than enough and we cheat for more than enough and we stab people in the back for more than enough and we find our identity in more than enough and we think that we're more important than others because we have more than enough. And the church looks at this and because we don't want to be associated with those who abuse something God created, we over-correct. And we start to do things that I call pocket watch. How can they afford that car? I know how much they make. They must have financed it. I would never buy a car like that. And cars are just for utility to take you from one point to the other. Everything else is a waste. I would never buy a house like that. I mean, it's just them and their dog. What a waste. Who needs a house? Ugh. I would never spend that much money to go see a mouse. I went to see the mouse. That's one expensive mouse. <laughs> I would never go on a vacation like that. What a waste. What a... By the way, do you know everybody's different? And because you were made different, you find pleasure in different things. Just because you don't enjoy long walks on the beach because you're boring doesn't mean somebody else is wasteful if they do. Just because somebody enjoys going zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds 
and you, it's all right to be different and not look down on. But because we're more cultural than we are biblical. Come on now. Well, pastor, there is a such thing as wastage. True. And a lot of wastage could go to help people who don't have enough. I really don't believe that anybody should live in abundance because there's so many people in lack. I'm going to read a verse second. The verse is going to be offensive, so let me clean it up at the front part and then I'll read. Poverty and lack on the earth is not caused by abundance. You cannot use that as a biblical foundation and teach me that I have a God who has no limits. You can't tell me nothing's impossible with God, but abundance is the cause of lack. What's the cause of poverty of lack in this earth? Obviously a complicated question, but here's a simple answer. The same cause as cancer. The same cause of diabetes. The same cause of depression. That this earth is broken. That this is not God's intention. That when sin entered the world, the consequences of sin that someone didn't necessarily bring on themselves, it is the consequences of being on a broken planet. By the way, we're not the first one to say, oh, you shouldn't enjoy life because there's people who can't. Judas said that. In John chapter 12, verse 4, it says this. But one of his disciples, by the way, anytime you're in association with Judas, just know that's not a good place to be. <laughs> but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Here it is, Jesus, a few days before his crucifixion, and the woman comes in. She has Tom Ford perfume that was so expensive. Most expensive perfume I can think of. It was a year's salary. Just take a moment. Think about how much money you paid taxes on last year. You want your W-2. I didn't make all this money. There's no way I made all this money. Where did this money go? <laughs> that is how much she spent on that perfume. And she took it. She poured it on Jesus. And Judas was disgusted. He said that could have been used for the poor. Watch this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. I'm going to get in trouble, but that's okay because I ain't scared of y'all. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Let's just have fun with the church. So they passed the basket, take tithes and offering. Judas was in the back counting. Judas would take some and put it in his pocket. So when he saw that perfume poured out instead of giving to the church so they could give to the poor, he said, man, I ain't going to get a cut of that. <laughs> now, here's the problem. Nobody considers themselves Judas. Except the Bible says that anybody who doesn't tithe is a thief. The Bible says you can't give a tithe because it was never yours. All you can do is return the tithe. You're giving back to God what's already his. So watch this. Anytime I don't give God what's already his, it's as if I put my hand in the offering basket. That's tight. But it's right. So it's from that. By the way, you cannot claim to care about the poor if you don't tithe. Because you can't care about the creation more than the creator does. He said, they're my kids, not yours. Their situation breaks my heart 
more than your heart could ever be. Anyway, come on, stop. This is not a type of message. Anyway, he said, leave it alone. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. He said, that was a good use of abundance. He said, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You can't tell me God did not care about the poor because he responded to them and ran to them and, and said, I was here for you more than anybody else. But he said, that will always be a situation here on earth until I return and break the curse of sin off of this earth. There is nothing wrong with abundance. Matter of fact, God created and ordained abundance. One of the reasons why we struggle with this concept of abundance is because for so many people, that has never been my experience. I've never been in a position where I had money to burn. <laughs> Come on, you ever been in a I, I've got money and I don't know what to buy. <laughs> like, think about it. You're a college student. You make $5,000 a year. And all you're thinking about is, man, as soon as I get my real job. You know what I mean? You get your real job. Now you're making $50,000 a year. And all you can think of, man, if I could make sixty-five, I could approve for this mortgage. You make $500,000 a year. You're like, man, this is great, but I still can't get the vacation home that I want. You know, LeBron actually just crossed a billion dollars according to Forbes magazine, which is just like, yes! Where do you tithe? Anyway. <laughs> but LeBron has been very outspoken that his life goal is to own an NBA team. The cheapest NBA team is somewhere around $2 billion. So as a billionaire, he still doesn't have all that he needs to accomplish what he feels God's called him to accomplish. So because abundance isn't a part of our reality, we're like, well, if I'm not experiencing it, it must not be God. Come on now. If that's not my story, then that must not be what God has for me. And here's the problem. While abundance is God's goal for your life, it's not the starting point. Yeah. Write this down. Abundance is not the starting point. If I think I get to start at abundance, then I'm always going to think God has failed me. If I think I'm going to start at more than enough, then I'm always going to think something's going wrong and God doesn't care about me as much as he cares about somebody else. If I think I get to start at abundance, I understand that we live in a broken world. And just because something is God's plan doesn't mean it's going to be our reality until we bring heaven to earth. Here's what the Bible says. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, not that I speak in regard to need. By the way, Paul said, let, let, let me just clarify. He said, I can't talk about need. Because really all I need is not to go to hell. <laughs> you missed it. A good place to say amen. amen. What do you really need? I need not to spend eternity in the lake of fire. If I've accomplished that, I can't really call. Paul said, no, no, we're not talking about need. Because God is taking care of my need. He said, we're just talking about wants. And he said, with the wants, I have learned in whatever state of my life to be content. Paul said, here's where abundance starts. Where you're not basing your life on circumstances, but on contentment. He said, I know how to be abased. Watch this. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said, I can teach you how to prosper in abundance. I can teach you how to have more than enough. Here's lesson number one. Start with contentment. Yeah. Having more than enough has nothing to do with what you have. 
It has everything to do with who you have in you. And here's what Paul was saying. You've got to understand, while beauty is amazing, vacations are awesome, having things are great. If things are what makes you happy, you will never be happy. Honda will make sure of it by bringing out a new model with new technology that they had 10 years ago but refused to put it in last year's model because they needed to make you unhappy with this year's model so you'll buy next year's. If your happiness is in things, you'll just never be happy. Paul said, no, 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 no. My happiness is in the fact that I am his and he is mine, that I am a child of the most high God, that I am a son or a daughter of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that my past is forgiven and I'm a new creation in Christ. He said, let's start with this. Find your happiness in God. And here's step number two, find your identity in God. They said men in particular are the most depressed when they are unemployed. Why is that? Because the world has told me my only value is what I produce. And if I don't produce anything, then there's not much value to me. Well, when has listening to the world ever got you to a place of peace? Here's what God said. He said that you were made in his image. In his image, he fashioned and formed you. He said that he called you and had a purpose and a plan for your life. He said, hold on, I gave you Jesus. Do you think I will really withhold anything from you? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Who I am is not based on my title, based on my net worth, based on what letters I have behind my name, how many people follow me on Instagram or don't follow me on Twitter. It is based on who my father says I am. And watch this. If you don't get that, you will always manipulate money. If you get that, you will never find peace. You ever been miserable on a vacation? Not because of your kids. Because the whole time you were just thinking, I got to go back. And you couldn't even enjoy your time away because you would think about what you had to go back to. Paul said, here's how you live in abundance. Forget about abundance and obsess over God. But here's what he said. He said, not only have I learned to be content and I find my strength in God, but he said, he said I have learned how to be a base. That's something that not a lot of people understand. Paul said, I've learned how to be broke. He said, I've learned how to hustle. I've learned. Here, here, oh, I'm going to get in trouble, but this is Bible. If I live in a place of lack and I'm not experiencing abundance, I have not learned how God desires me to live in a place of lack. Because when I learn how to lack, hear me, I will not lack for long. Here's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. It says this, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives, watch this, the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is. Watch this. God says, if you'll just put your attention on me, I'll give you the ability to build abundance. Can I give you something really messed up? There is no miracle in scripture where God supernaturally gave somebody wealth. By the way, it's nothing to do with the message. Y'all should be proud of your pastor. Why? I didn't play the lottery this week, y'all. I didn't. I didn't. I I didn't. Now, hear me. I really, really wanted to. I mean, 
$1.28 billion. Do you know how many church buildings you can build with that? This is church. You confess your sins. I was tempted. Did not sin. By the way, no condemnation if you did play. Just make sure you tithe if you win. (laughs) Wait, pastor, would you take tithe money off of a lottery win? Well, the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. So I've got no... <laughs> sit down, sit down. Y'all ratchet. Calm down. I'm going to get like 15 emails off of that one. I'm like, <laughs> There's no miracle in the Bible where God gave somebody wealth. So stop checking your mailbox for miraculous million-dollar checks. Stop going through Ancestry.com to find that rich uncle. (laughs) There are financial miracles in the Bible. There absolutely are. And they were all directed towards lack and poverty. None of it was abundance and wealth. Well, what about the widow with the jars of oil? She was starving to death and had no way to provide for herself. What about the disciples when they pulled gold out of the fish's mouth? Well, God said, hey, you don't have anything to pay your taxes. Go find gold in the fish's mouth. What about the 5,000 where he took two loaves and two fish? They had nothing. And God said, instead of sending them away, you... Yes, God does financial miracles for lack. But for wealth and abundance, he will not do the supernatural. He will give you wisdom and understanding and supernatural strength. And watch this. To build it. Because here's what the Bible says. It says money that was gotten quickly will be wasted. There's a lesson that you learn along the journey of building it, of how to keep it. And if you don't learn the lesson of building it when you get it, first of all, you won't really value it. You'll be frivolous with it, and then you'll lose it just as fast because you did not learn the prince. Paul said, I've learned to be broke. He said, I've, and, and, and four quick principles. What do I do What I want abundance in my life? Here's the first thing. People who have abundance value time. People who have abundance value time. You will not find people that have worked and stewarded more than enough that are frivolous with their time. That show up late and leave early and don't have a calendar and don't have a schedule and don't know where they're going and hit snooze four different times and all this other kind of stuff. No, no, no. If you want abundance, you've got to value time. And I can tell the abundance in somebody's life based on the value that they put on time. The only commodity you can't make more of. Number two, people of abundance value skill. I'm good at something. Come on now. College is not for everybody. But education is. And we want to, I'm going to talk about y'all, but maybe I am. We want to shout, college isn't for everybody. Great, don't go to college, but what are you going to do? What trade school are you going to do? What apprenticeship are you going to do? Who are you going to sit under and learn? What, 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 what IT certifications are you going to get? Without skill, you will always lack. Malcolm Gladwell is the one that came up with the whole idea of you need 10,000 hours of practice to be an expert or the best at anything. Come on now. That's a lot of hours. There's 229 working days in a year. If you spend four hours a day working on a skill, it will take you 10 years, according to Malcolm Gladwell, to become an expert, to become a professional, to have a skill that you can offer the world. That's why number three is this, consistency. 
So, so it, it's, it's fun to be a preacher because you just get to stand up here and trash people all day long. And it's just like, it's just like, this is great. And just put Jesus on it at the end. It's all the way fun. So let me trash myself and then y'all can clap. Nobody wants to start from scratch anymore. Nobody wants to put the work in of 10 years from now, I will be, but right now I'm paying off debt. 10 years from now, I will be, when, 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 when I graduated from the greatest university on planet Earth, forget Harvard, forget Duke, I went to the University of Maryland, College Park, fear the turtle. That was the most apathetic, oh, whatever, nobody cares. Went to college, came out, got my big boy job, making more money I've ever made, I was making no money, but it was more money I've ever made in my life. And after about six months of living with my parents after college, I said, okay, I'm ready to go be a man. I want to buy my own house. I'm like, it's We go to financial classes here at Union Church to connect groups because I don't have time for all these rabbit trails. There's this cultural mindset that renting is bad. Owning something you can't afford is worse than renting something you can't afford. But that's a different story for a different day. But I came out and said, I'm not renting nothing. I want to buy a house. So my dad said, well, if you have down payments stayed up, merchants don't find out, go, go, go buy a house. I had student loans. I'm doing it all wrong, but whatever. I'm a man. I want to go buy a house. Y'all know what I did? I went out my dad's front door, started walking down the street, looking at houses in his neighborhood. I went three houses down. There was a house for sale, three houses down from my dad. I said, I like this house, dad. I think I want to get this house. I mean, you got to understand, I was close enough to mama that I would never have to cook. I just go walk across the parking lot. When he cut his grass, he cut my grass. Just walk down. <laughs> my dad was in his 50s, owned his own business, provided for a wife and five children, and worked his whole life to build this house for his family. And his 22-year-old punk son thought six months out of college, watch this, I deserve to live in the same neighborhood of consistency. And what we have, because there's not abundance in people's lives, is I don't want to take the time to start from scratch. I want a vacation like people who have been working for 25 years, even though I've been working for 25 minutes. I want to drive like people that have invested for the last 30 years and are debt-free, but I want to do it after. Somebody say, it doesn't work that way. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says this, do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see you start. Look at somebody say, just start. I have a lot of fun being shady. There's something about 2022 where everybody wants to own their own business. Everybody's like, every time somebody hands you their business card and says CEO on it. I'm a, I'm a business owner. I, I don't, don't work for anybody else. You, you, another own owning your business. Also, nothing wrong for working on somebody else. It's because I'm shady and really ignorant. Do you know if you own your own business and you make exactly what you would make working for somebody else, you don't own your own business. You own your own job. No, you got flexibility. You can do your hours the way that you want to and all that. Nothing wrong with that. But 
There's nothing wrong with starting at scratch. There's nothing wrong with learning from somebody else who's a lot further ahead than you and, and helping them build their vision until you have enough information to go build your own. There, somebody say consistency. Number four, wisdom. 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 Proverbs 7, 16, 16 says this. How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. So here's what, what, what the Proverbs writer was saying. If somebody offers you a check or to teach you how to make that check, take the lesson, leave the money. If somebody says, I will provide for you for life, or I will teach you how to provide for others for life, you keep your money, teach me. Because here's what the proverb writer was saying is, if you, here's what wisdom is, it's knowing how to apply information. You know you can have seven degrees and no wisdom? <laughs> no, no. How do I apply this? No, 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 no. I know that the, the, the stock market is going down, but is it all bad? Come on now. I know real estate is volatile, but that seems to be a way that people build wealth. Is there wisdom there? And without wisdom, you will work for something and not know how to grow it, not know how to keep it. Not know how to see abundance in it. Paul said, start with contentment. Paul said, learn how to be broke. Here's the part that so many people miss. Paul said, I've learned to abound. Paul said, I've learned to be loaded. And I've also learned to be broke. And he said, there's a certain way that I live when I'm broke. I work 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week when I'm broke. He said, but I got to learn not to do that when I have more than enough. Because if I don't learn that, I'm going to end up on somebody's operating table. Come on now. This is something that, that's not taught a lot. We're taught about how to be frugal, but we're not taught how to enjoy life. We're, we're, we're taught how to, how to get out of debt and how, how to manage that what we don't have. But, but what do you do when you do have? It's actually good money to spend going to the opera. Now, I didn't enjoy it, but somebody else told me it was good money to... <laughs> I didn't know opera wasn't in English. I'm sitting there like, what are you talking It was an experience. I much would have preferred a steak, but hey, I'm cultured now, so. Like, there's actually value in closing your laptop, going outside, and walking. Come on now. And what happens for so many people, because we've struggled for so long, we don't know how to act when we don't have to struggle anymore. And exactly what God intended for you to enjoy life, for you to see the goodness of God and the pleasure of God, when we finally can, we don't know how to. And even in abundance, we're miserable. Pastor, that's not true. That's just you. You like stuff, but that's not me. I, I don't need houses, cars, clothes, vacations. I find pleasure in working. I, I find fulfillment in just building stuff. I like to work. It doesn't even feel like work. I don't need that enjoyment stuff. Well, here's the problem. It's not about you. It's not about what you need. Write this down. Abundance attracts the world to God. If, if you're going to live this Christian life, you've got to catch the concept that it's not just about you. 
that you're not just living for you and for your opinion and for your standards. Here's what Paul said. He said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In this life that I now live, I live through the Father, or through Christ Jesus. Here's what it says. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. God's purpose in all of this is to use the church. Somebody say, that's me. To display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Think back to the Renaissance when all the greatest artists came out of the church. What do you think they said about the church? Wow, something's going on in there. I've got to figure it out. Fast forward where all the greatest artists come out of Hollywood and Silicon Valley and New York City and don't claim Jesus at all. Well, why would I go to the church? They don't have anything to offer me. No, no, no. Here's what God said. He said, I desire that you live according to my original plan so that it creates a holy jealousy in people who don't know me. Before there was an Old Spice commercial, there was the Bible. Y'all see an Old Spice commercial? Look at your man. Now look back at me. Now look at your man. Now look back at me. I could be your man, but I'm not. No, no, no. <laughs> God wanted you to be a billboard here on earth. That people looked at your life, your joy, your vacations, your marriage, your trip to see the mouse, and say, hold on. We came from the same parents. How are you experiencing that? I'm not. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 says this. Don't just wait for them to see. Show them. How? It says, you will be made rich. Come on, I'm going to make you so uncomfortable, you might walk out. Somebody said, God's going to make me rich. Now, half of this rebellious room didn't say it because you don't even know if it's biblical. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Somebody say, God's going to make me rich. Now, somebody shout, why? why? So that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. It's not just your abundance that catches people's attention. It's your abundance with no selfishness that you're actually looking for need. Hey, don't worry about paying off your student loan. God's blessed me. I've got it for you. Hey, I'll buy that car for you. Remember I said God responds to lack with a miracle. How about you be the miracle that that person is waiting on? And a lot of people say, well, I'll be generous when I have money. Money's not the only thing you have. Right now, there's 30-some coaches that are a part of Union Athletics that, as we speak, are in North Carolina being abundant with their time, coaching up our track stars. By the way, we sweep in gold at the Junior Olympics right now. Abundance is I have so much margin in my life, I'm going to park cars in the parking lot on a Sunday morning because I'm not going to use all my time just for me, but I'm going to be generous to that person who's trying church out for the first time. God says when people of lack see your generosity, it turns their heart to God. But I can't be generous with what I don't have. Well, pastor, does that mean we could only reach people of lack? Because what about the person who they don't need anything from me? They got a nicer car than me, a nicer house than me, a nicer business than me. I can't, they need nothing. Well, here's what the Bible said, Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Somebody say amen. amen. Here's the part. And he adds no sorrow to it. Here's the deal. 
You can get abundance without God. All you have to do is apply God's principles. You don't got to be a Christian. Just value time. Invest in a skill. Be consistent and learn God's wisdom. And you will have abundance with or without him. But without him, you won't have abundance and peace. Without him, that money is going to come with more drama than you've ever imagined. Yeah, I've got it, but my kids hate me. Yeah, I've got it, but I'm on my fourth marriage. Yeah, I've got it, but I'm battling this addiction because I had more than I needed and I didn't know where to find pleasure from, so I found it in the wrong place. Hear me, it's not the abundance that's going to attract those that have abundance. It's the abundance with the peace that they long for. God says, my desire is that your life be a billboard to the world. This is what it looks like to be under the lordship of Christ. He said, you can't do that. You have this mindset, I'm just going to scrape through life for the rest of my life, and that's God's plan for me. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful for this opportunity, God, to be in your presence. God, I'm not going to lie, being in your presence is uncomfortable. Because sometimes you blow up things that we've been trained to believe our entire lives. So God, I pray in this moment that you'd help us to put your word above culture. God, to put your word above opinion. God, as Mary said, God, let it be unto us according to your word. Right where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Wherever you find yourself in a place of abundance or in a place of lack, Paul said for all of us, the first step is to seek contentment. Contentment is not based in having more or life being more simple. Contentment is based on who's the controller of your life. You see, for all of us, we start the first part of our life making our own decisions and calling our own shots. And there's nowhere that that leads to joy and contentment. God says, it's not until you allow me to be the Lord of your life, the decision maker in your life, that you'll step into the peace that I have for you. So wherever you find yourself, every location, watching the line, you say, Pastor, if I be honest, I can't say that God is making the decisions in my life. Notice I didn't ask if you're a Christian. I asked, who's making, who's your Lord? You say, Pastor, I can't say that God is. Probably explains the discontentment in my heart. I'm ready to try something new. If that's you, you can make that decision right now, right where you are. Can you pray this with me? Say, Lord Jesus. I surrender. I give up control of my decisions. I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every...